Well, amen and good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, let's open those up to 1 Samuel chapter 27. 1 Samuel chapter 27. And by way of introduction, I want to tell you a story of an actual event that happened in 1970. It may be hard for some of you to believe, but 1970 was 50 years ago. This really happened 15 years ago in Oregon, on the coast of Oregon, there was a 45-foot, 8-ton whale that beached itself and died on the beach. And the problem became for the local community, what do we do with an 8-ton whale that's going to die and now rot on the beach? Because you thought that raccoon that died under your house smelled bad. Imagine an 8-ton whale. So we got to figure out, what are we going to do about this whale? So naturally, they invited the highway department to solve the problem of the whale. I don't know why they involved the highway department, but they did. But it must have been a group of men who decided on this solution. And you can picture them sitting around a table and having this discussion, and then finally one guy stands up and, you know, adjusts his belt. And I'll tell you what we need to do. Now, I don't know if he used the word smithereens or kingdom come, but he used one of those words because the solution was, I'll tell you what we do with the whale. We use some dynamite and we'll blow the thing up. And after all, what problem do you have that could not be solved with dynamite? That that's, was really the idea. But it became a community event. You can imagine what would happen if it happened today. But people brought their cars and their lawn chairs. And we're going to blow up this whale. And then all the little sea creatures are going to eat up all the pieces. Problem solved. This is actually, you can watch this on YouTube. It actually happened. They started the countdown. They're going to blow this whale up. And people are watching and they're getting excited and the countdown begins and boom, there it goes. Clapping, cheering, excitement. And the reporter said it so well when he says, said the humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival as huge chunks of whale blubber fell Everywhere, even to the point of demolishing the roof of somebody's great big huge station wagon. Try explaining that one to your insurance company. Can you imagine whale blubber and blood just falling out of the sky and people running for their lives? Why do I tell you that story? Because the point is. Sometimes we have a problem and we create a bigger problem trying to solve the problem. We're really good at that. And that's what they did with the beached whale in 1970. One of the things I love about the scriptures is the Bible never presents the characters in scripture as flawless. They're very relatable because we are so much like them and They don't fail on a small scale. They fail on a grand scale. 
And God is merciful and God intervenes not only in their lives, but in ours. What we look at today is going to be about David before he's King David. And what we're going to see today, this series of events had the potential to change everything. Because if God doesn't intervene in this situation, there is no King David. There is David who's made a colossal mistake. You might remember the story of David and Bathsheba and David commits adultery and murder. But even that, as terrible as it was, that happens after David was king. What we're going to look at today is before any of that even happens. One of the things that we know about David is you got to give him credit when he decides to mess up. He does it on a pretty colossal scale. He doesn't just halfway do it. But this is a serious thing that happens in David's life. And I think as we unpack that, there's some incredible parallels to where many of us are right in our lives in the middle of this crazy time in the middle of this crazy season. And David faced then a lot of the same temptations that we face right now. And thankfully, God intervenes in David's life in a powerful way. And before we even jump into the text, reflecting and looking back on your own life, aren't you glad that God stepped in And God took care of your bad choices and God took care of your mistakes. And yes, there were some consequences, but his sovereignty superseded that. And he showed us his mercy and he showed us his grace in our lives. And we're not having to live with all of the baggage of that. First Samuel chapter 27. Let's start in verse one and we'll read through verse four at this point. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told to Saul that David fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Saul was chasing after David because he wanted to kill him. He wanted to take his life. And now that David has gone to the land of the Philistines, Saul no longer sought after him. Problem solved, right? Got this covered. But going to the Philistines is going to create a lot bigger problems than what it solves. David didn't just happenly, randomly wander to the land of the Philistines. He went there deliberately. But why would he do that? Well, let's look back at some things and see what led up to David deciding, I've got to go to the land of the Philistines. I've, I've got to just, this has to stop. God's ways of preparing the people he will use. God's ways of preparing us and refining us are surprising. They're neither what we would expect. They're not what we would choose. 
But God knows what he's doing, even if we don't. And there's a process of preparation that David that that God put David through. David would have never asked for and probably wouldn't have wished. On his worst enemy, the chapters that lead up to first Samuel 27, we remember Saul was the king. He was the first king of Israel, but he continued to sin against God and his disobedience cost him. In 1 Samuel 15, it says that God rejected him from being king. And in the very next chapter, David, the shepherd boy, is anointed to be the new king of Israel. The problem was we still had the current king of Israel. God did not remove Saul from the kingship immediately. He raised up David right under him. Next chapter, you'll remember the story David kills Goliath, but of all places, Goliath is from a place called Gath. That's where David is settled now. He he moves into this place and Goliath is a Philistine. So we want to say, David, you you killed the Philistines. The Israelites are battling the Philistines. Why would you want to go to the land of the Philistines? Well, what begins to happen is God is blessing David with success after success, victory after victory. Goliath was just the beginning. Meanwhile, Saul, it's just getting worse and worse and worse for him. There's a big battle. They come back into the city and Saul hears the women and the children singing and dancing. And they said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And he was jealous and he became insanely jealous of David. And God's using that and going to use that to prepare David for what's to come. Because what's going to happen is over the next eight chapters, it's going to consist in one event after the other of Saul, the current king, chasing after pursuing David because he knows David is going to be David is the anointed. He's going he knows he's going to be the next king. And in his insane, jealous rage, he's trying to kill David. That's disturbing. But the most disturbing part about that is God is letting it all happen because God isn't causing Saul to want to kill David. But God is using that as the process of preparation for all that's to come in David's life. There may be circumstances in your life that are going on right now that you don't understand and don't make any sense. But please don't see those things as random. Please don't see those things as stuff that's just happening to you. God is still in control. God is still sovereign. And he's allowing those things in your life for a reason. And none of it's wasted. On two different occasions... David had the opportunity to kill Saul, who was trying to kill David. And David passed up the opportunities because it wasn't the right thing to do. It was he wasn't going to take his hand and slay God's anointed, even though Saul was rejected. He was originally God's anointed and David was not going to take the kingship that way. And all of that that leads up to 1 Samuel 27, 
this it's a victory for David. David is getting bigger and bigger and Saul is getting smaller and smaller. David, everything's going your way. But then it happened. David reached a point. He was tired of running. He was frustrated. And he was done. If you ever reached a place or maybe you're at this place now in your life where you are done. I'm sick of this. I can't take it anymore. God hasn't come through. I'm still waiting on God. It hasn't gone like I thought it was going to. And I am done. And at that point, David started talking to himself. Now, Saul was literally insane, but David starts talking to himself. But you probably talk to yourself, too. But worse than talking to himself, David started listening to himself. In verse one, it's very scary when it says this. Then David said in his heart. What you and I say in our hearts is going to determine everything about our future. Notice it doesn't say, and David prayed to the Lord, David sought the Lord, or David sought wise counsel, or David asked some friends to pray for him and with him. It just says, and David said in his heart. Now, the the mantra for our culture today, the thing that you hear all the time, oh, just follow your own heart, just follow your heart and go wherever it leads you. No, stop that right now. Don't follow your own heart. That's what the culture says, but what the Bible says, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Do you want to follow your heart? Here's what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If your heart is deceitful, if your heart is desperately sick, which is what the Bible says, why would we want to follow that? Because sometimes we can think that we're doing the right thing. Sometimes we can think we're going in the right direction and be dead wrong. Sometimes we can follow our emotions. Well, I'm just going to do as I feel. But our emotions are not what's supposed to be leading us. You know the scripture, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He will make your path straight. Notice it says lean on the Lord. And it doesn't it doesn't mean you don't use your understanding. It just says don't lean on it. But what we do a lot of the time is rather than using our understanding and leaning on the Lord, we lean on our own understanding and use the Lord. And that's where we get ourselves into a mess. You can't trust your own heart. So don't follow after your own heart either. What you say in your own heart, that's going to determine what you're going to be. This is why knowing scripture, this is why knowing the word of God and what it says about you, what it says about your circumstance, what it's what it says is so important. Because a lot of the time, the message in our heart, the message in our emotions, the message of what seems right to me. It's going to be in contradiction to what the word of God says. And the word of God is the standard. Reasons why we can't follow our own heart. 
Number one, because the enemy loves to sow doubt and fear. You might have noticed in this season that we're walking in already, there's a lot of people walking in fear. And it doesn't always lead to good choices when we're walking in fear. The enemy loves to to make us fearful, to make us doubtful, to question God's goodness, to question God's word. Secondly, many of us hear voices in our head. Now, that sounds a little spooky, but here's what I'm talking about. Harsh words, hurtful words, critical words, abusive even words that maybe a long time ago were spoken about you or to you in your life. And a lot of time has passed, but you still remember those words. You still remember what was said to you or about you like it happened yesterday. And the enemy loves to just hold up a microphone to that and make it louder and louder. You'll always be that way. You're always going to be stuck there. You're never going to be good enough. Whatever that message was, the enemy just loves to amplify that. And it's not what the word of God says about us. We can't trust our own hearts. Number three, our hearts and our feelings and even a lot of the time what makes sense to us. Those are all bad gauges to know what to do, to know how to respond, to know how to react. But the word of God. Tells us the truth. David was in a place. Yes, he was frustrated. Understandably, he was done. But he needed to be seeking the Lord. He needed to be getting some wise counsel. He needed prayer. He needed worship. And instead, he started listening to his own heart. And so the lies began. You start listening to the lies It's not good. Here he goes. Number one, he said in his heart, here's the first thing he said. Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. All right, David, now hold on a minute. You're saying that God has protected you all of the other times. Up until this point, but now suddenly God's just done and he's going to let you go and Saul's going to finally catch up with you. Despite the fact that God has promised you're going to be the next king of Israel, you're anointed king of Israel and all that God has told you up to this point, all that God has brought you up through to this point, suddenly all of that's going to change. There's nothing rational about that. That's David listening to his own heart. And it's easy for us to look at David and say, how can you how can you believe that? The same way that you and I get so discouraged sometimes because we've seen God's faithful hand in our lives all through our lives. We've known God to bring us through situation after situation. But as soon as we get into the next difficult circumstance, God, where are you? I'm right where I was every other time I brought you through this. We just forget. We just lose our focus. David, God's protected you every time thus far. Why is that suddenly going to change? Even Saul recognized God's hand on David's life. David just wasn't recognizing it 
in the moment. And when he started believing the lies, all right, now now I got to take matters into my own hands. I, I, I don't know where God is right now, and I don't really want to seek God right now, but I got to do something. Get the dynamite ready. But maybe you and I are a lot like that, too. You lay awake at night, rehearsing scenarios over and over again in your mind and think about how bad the situation is going to turn out. Or you're having a conversation or an argument in your head with somebody and you're just imagining the worst case scenario for how this is going to play out. Sometimes our mind is our worst enemy. Trust the promises of God. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy and certainly not convenient. But God takes care of his children. That's all he's ever done. Second lie. First lie, Saul's going to get me. Second lie, there is nothing better for me that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. There's nothing better for you, David, than escape to the land of the Philistines? No, David, what you can do is trust God. That's what's better for you. Were you aware that we're fighting the Philistines here? There's nothing better for me to do than to go to the land of the Philistines. We're in danger when we start listening to the lies of the enemy. But we are doomed when we're now saying them to ourselves. Saul's going to get me. I got to go to the land of the Philistines. When you're tired, you're frustrated, you're at the place where you're done. You are vulnerable. Look out. Like David, when we take matters into our own hands... We're essentially saying, God, you can't handle this. Watch me do it. God, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, so I better take this one over. In other words, when God looks bad, sin looks really good. But the Philistines? The the Philistines, really? As I said, when David messed up, he didn't do it halfway. But here's where we can be sympathetic with David. He obviously didn't, un- he, he, he didn't know what to do. We can be understanding of that. We, we can recognize somebody in a situation where it looks impossible and I'm really not sure what to do here. We can relate to that. We get that. We've been there. We may be there. But hear this. The worst thing to do when you don't know what to do is do something, anything, just do something. No, no. If there's no clarity on what to do, if you don't know what you're supposed to do, just wait. I know we're not supposed to use four letter word in churches, but just wait. You don't like that word any more than I do. But God's not in a hurry. God's not panicking. We might be, but he isn't. A friend of mine is a military chaplain, and they were somewhere in the Middle East, and a convoy driving through a city, and there was traffic, and he felt really vulnerable in the moment, riding in the Humvee. And the, the sergeant that he was with was could tell by the look on his face he was getting scared. He was getting a little panicked here. And the sergeant looked at him and said, hey, 
we're good. We're fine. When you see me get scared, when you see me panic, then you can know it's time to be scared. But that time isn't right now. Hey, as long as God is still on his throne, as long as God is not panicking, as as long as God is not the least bit confused about what's going on in the world right now, we're good. No reason to panic. I don't know where this is going either, but I know God's in control and I know God is good. And all of it's marching to the glorious conclusion and he will reign forever and ever. That's our hope and that's our confidence. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. The dynamites have been laid under the whale. Boom, there's the explosion And now the blubber is falling out of the sky because David has gone to the land of the Philistines. Let's pick up in chapter 27, verse 5. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. David lived in the land of the enemy for 16 months. And I love what the scripture does here. There's no verse that tells us, and the thing that, done, that David had done was wrong, or this was an abomination to the Lord. That actually happens in other places, but not here. Scripture is fairly silent about that. It just tells us that David was there for 16 months. But what we also know, nothing good happens. All of those psalms that David wrote, not during this time. It's a bad season. It's a bad deal. But Scripture is silent about it. Sometimes God's quiet. But it doesn't mean he's indifferent or that he doesn't care about it. And we're moving toward 1 Samuel chapter 30, but let me just summarize what happens. Because this is the potential to ruin things for a long time. David convinces the king of the Philistines, Achish, that he's defected, that he is just full on Philistine now, not Pharisee, Philistine. And the king's convinced. But wouldn't you know it? In God's sovereignty, in God's protection over David's life, the Philistines began to gather for war against the Israelites. And as you would imagine, if David fights against his own people on the side of the Philistines, it's over. There's no going back. David can never be the king of Israel as was promised. And everything changes. But God in his mercy intervenes. The same way he has in our lives doesn't seem like it for David. They get ready to go into battle and the troops come to the king of the Philistines and say, we don't trust this guy. We know who this guy is. He's not fighting with us. 
And David said, no, 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 you can trust me. I'll, I'll be loyal to you. And the king said, no, you need to go home. They're right. This isn't your battle. You're one of them before you were one of us. You can't fight in this battle. That was God's mercy and God intervening. David didn't like it. But instead, it set in motion of David not crossing a line that would have changed everything forever. Chapter 30, tragedy strikes as David and his men are returning. Foreign invaders come in, capture their wives and their children and carry them off into slavery Long story short, they're going to get them back. But it wasn't David's finest moment because at that time, knowing that they're gone, verse 4, it tells us that they wept until they had no more strength to weep because of what had just happened. And the weight of all of that comes down on David to realize all this is happening because of me. All this is happening because I listen to my own heart. And I'm in the land of the Philistines. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But here it is. Finally, after 16 months, here it is. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. David, if you would have just done that 16 months ago. When you were done, when you were tired, when you were frustrated, if you would have just strengthened yourself in the Lord, your God, then... Sixteen months later, we wouldn't be here. And some of us this morning, we're, we're walking in something similar right now because it's not a good situation. It's been a difficult year. Whatever's going on, the temptation is I got to take matters into my own hands. I, I, I can't trust God here. I got to do something. But David strengthened himself in the Lord is God. If you're being tempted to go to the land of the Philistines, or if the Spirit is saying to you, oh, you're already there, there's a way out, and there's still a way home, and it's called repentance, because God is merciful. And God longs for us to trust him in the impossible situations of our lives. So at another time, in other circumstances, a better version of David writes in Psalms 27 these words, and we'll finish with this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord 
in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's go to prayer. God, I do pray that our hearts would be encouraged and that our hearts would take courage this morning, that you can be trusted, that you are bigger than our circumstance that we're walking through right now, bigger than our biggest problem. And I pray that in your mercy you would stop us short of going to the land of the Philistines or for some that you would bring us home. God, we trust you. We don't know what you're doing, especially in a year like this one. But you are good, and we lift our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.